RadioInfluence.com. And as daylight savings is approaching, we spring forward. Spring practices are here. It's time for another episode of Rush the Field, the college football podcast for you, college football fans. I'm Scott Seidenberg, alongside veteran scout consultant Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com, fresh off his trip at the NFL Combine. You have a good time in Indy, Chris? Yeah, we got a lot of good work done. Obviously, um, it uh, it's a it's an opportunity to see these guys in person, visit with them, uh, doing some of the interviews with the teams, and see how these guys interact, and get to know them a little bit, and obviously to see them work out. You know, I don't think people realize that you know when you time guys, the times themselves really don't mean anything unless you're watching them run and you really can see how they run. Uh, because some guys just are a little bit better with their start and how they train. And uh, some guys, maybe the difference between, say, a, a 438 and a 4.58 is just sometimes a guy that knows how to start out of the blocks versus the one that doesn't. And maybe the guy that's 458 is just as fast once he gets going. So you want to see the balance and everything, the competitiveness up, up close. So it's always very, very uh, important. As I like to say, it's a piece of the puzzle in the valuation process of players. And um, it's good to it's good to really get a lot of work done in a short period of time. Yeah. And it's a NFL convention now. You know, every coach is there. The GMs are there. The whole league comes there. It's it's a gathering of who's who in the football world. And it's really the place to be this time of the year. And I mentioned, Chris, spring practices are right around the corner. Central Florida UCF opened up their spring practice on Monday and the topic of starting quarterback was something that the media wanted to ask about because Notre Dame transfer Brandon Wimbush is expected to be the starter. However, he understands that there's no guarantee that he is going to start for Josh Heupel. When you looked at him transferring to UCF, did you think it was a foregone conclusion that he was promised the starting job? I don't know about promised. I think he has a pretty good idea that there's a good opportunity. I think when whenever a player kind of makes this decision, and as we've talked about it, gosh, over the past several weeks, in this this day and age of transferring, these players are very astute uh, with uh, getting the right type of information that would lead them to understand what their chances are. And they, they know what the depth chart looks at at the schools that they're visiting or considering, and they know what their chances are. And, you know, sometimes they may overestimate their ability relative to the player, but, but they certainly know it. They don't go in blind and they usually ask pretty good questions of the coaches that they're visiting with. So I, I think that they had a, he had a pretty good idea of where he would, uh, would likely stand. And Jeff Lebby said, quote, Brandon's an old kid who gets it. So I'm mm-hmm. sure he'll pick up on the system rather quickly. You know, the up-tempo is something he's familiar with from Notre Dame, just probably mm-hmm. has to learn the terminology and whatnot in that playbook for, for Josh Heupel. You know, UCF, we talked about them in our state of the program. They're still going to be able to do what they're doing because of the conference that they play in and the schedule that they have. So we expect them to be good. We expect them to win a bunch of games. But in the end... The, the high watermark for them is going to be a Fiesta Bowl game. And, and that's really what you're looking at for Central Florida, right? Well, it is. I mean, you know, there's still a group of five team. There is a definite separation. They don't like to hear it. You know, we're, we're here to provide the reality, uh, the truth of kind of where things are. Now, it does not mean that in a 
scenario that we've talked about in the past, uh, a group of five team, if their schedule was right out of conference, um, in the, the conference itself was strong enough that, um, and you had the right scenarios that would break out uh, nationally around the Power Five schools. See, you could see uh, one get in uh, in, into the, the the playoffs at some point, but that is a long shot. And and I would say that you know most people think that there's no shot. Well, I never say never because what if you have one of those crazy years uh-huh. where you have two conferences with you know the the winner has um, two losses, you know, two losses, three losses. You know, whatever, you know, so it's one of those deals where you never know. But the reality is their strength of schedule won't be strong enough to be able to warrant being in that consideration and, uh, you know, being going undefeated against maybe two good teams that end up, say, being in the top 20. And then you maybe play two or three good teams within your league if it ends up that way. And then you have those breaks. Then under that scenario and under that scenario only would they have a chance. And so what we're really saying, it's more than a long shot. It's it's virtually impossible. When you look at spring practices as a coach, what's the most important thing that gets done this time of the year? fundamentals. Uh, I think that you spend a lot of time because you're not preparing for an opponent. You, you spend some time on installs of what you like to do, but your individual period, see every practice has a period in it and your individual period where, you know, the individual coaches work with their players on different techniques in every position obviously has different techniques they need to work on. They spend more time on that than anything because you know, the team stuff, certainly you don't have scout team stuff. You're looking at a lot of guys and you're giving players a lot of opportunity to compete, uh, to practice, to get better, show improvement. Um, it is a continuum of the off-season conditioning program. Um, and it is something that's very valuable from, from a, a technique standpoint. I think it's also a time where you really start to look at the beginning during the middle and certainly towards the end of spring practice, how are you depth wise? And, and at this point, maybe you have a couple of freshmen that won't be eligible academically that you thought might. And so this is where you might want to move a receiver to the secondary or vice versa. If you're short on numbers and in you know, the defensive lineman to offensive line, what have you. And this is the time that you want to do it. You're not going to do that during the fall when you're preparing on a week to week basis for an opponent But this time of year is where you would give guys some reps. Uh, It's also a time where you're going to spend more time with, all right, let the guard practice a little more at tackle so that you make sure that you put your best five on the field, on the offensive line, so on and so forth. So it really is about fundamentals. It's about technique uh, because it is sans preparation for an opponent. So it allows you to get more of that stuff in in the time that you do have. I want to talk about one of the biggest stories that we heard in college sports, not just football, but in college sports this week, Chris. And that is the announcement that Jim Delaney, the commissioner of the Big Ten, is going to retire when his contract is up after this season. So in June of 2020, Jim Delaney will no longer be the commissioner of the Big Ten. And you could make the argument that he is the most influential figure in college football and in all of college sports in the last 20 to maybe 30 years. He has led the Big Ten since 1989. He saw the conference expand to 14 members 
adding Penn State, Nebraska, Maryland, Rutgers, and in 2007, launched the first television network affiliated with a major college conference. And the Big Ten Network changed the landscape of college football because the money now grew tenfold, the exposure grew tenfold, and I don't think you can undersell the magnitude of what Jim Delaney did for not just college football, but all of college sports. Yeah, he certainly has had a lot of impact, certainly since we lost Mike Slive. Roy Kramer is still alive and, of course, was replaced as commissioner by Mike Slive. Those guys were very powerful, but that Jim's been there all along, much like uh, Mike uh, Slive came from the NCAA, had that background as an ACC guy. He was a guy that played, uh, you know, football at North Carolina. And so he he comes in and um, and, and, and he, he's a guy that um, – has done a lot for that league. He was the first that put together a television network for his conference. Now, um, you know, a lot of people say, well, the, the big 10 networks kind of fallen on hard times in terms of the quality and whatever that's, that's for other people to judge quite frankly, but he put that together and he was the, the first. Now the SEC had something in the works, but it took a little bit longer because they were working with ESPN and, but you know, the big 10 network was the first to do that. And they probably have had as much political clout um, or close to it, maybe with the only exception, the SEC. But you're right. He's had great influence on, um, you know, he was, for example, he was not interested in the college football playoff. Uh, that was more, you know, you know, it was Roy Kramer and the BCS and then Mike Slive and those guys more the SEC driven, whereas Jim Delaney did not want the BCS. He did not want the playoffs. And he fought that. He fought that fervently. But he's, you know, he's certainly been very powerful and a guy that people listen to. Uh, and it is something that uh, he's contributed greatly uh, to college athletics and certainly to the Big Ten. And he's going to be a tough guy to replace. I'm sure he's going to stick around in some consultant role um, because they'd be foolish to not tap into what he can do. And listen, if we don't um, think that the a good commissioner uh, of a league and you know, people can argue and argue correctly that maybe they have too much power and maybe the fact that everybody does their own thing is not good for college football. I, I certainly can raise my hand on that. However, um, having people that are in a position to make your conference strong is something that the Big Ten has had for a long time. The SEC's had for a long time. We've seen it's been a little bit shaky with the Big 12. The ACC's been pretty solid with John Swafford. We see the Pac-12, quite frankly, in a mess with Larry Scott. Television network, which they have that nobody can see. And, you know, the, the, the issues that are going on with the programs. And look at the money that the Big Ten and the SEC teams are getting for their television deal versus the paltry amount that the Pac-12 is getting. You know, again, you only have to look at the Pac-12 to realize, hey, there but for the grace of God go, go us if we didn't have good leadership. And that's what the Big Ten has had and they'll miss him um, in Jim Delaney. Do you think that it might be easier to get expansion of the college football playoff without Jim Delaney there because he had such opposition to the playoff in the first place? Well, here's the thing about it. He did, but I would not, I would say that would depends on who they hire, but he had kind of come around because 
after seeing the Big Ten champion for a couple of years, past two, three years, not fare very well in getting invited. Yeah, but in one of those, let's be fair, though, in one, I mean, he says that, but in one of those years, the Big Ten still sent the team to the playoffs. Correct, correct. But he's, I can just tell you, and I'm, I'm not arguing with you, but I'm just telling you his viewpoint is he's now arguing, or he was and, and will be until he's out, to get more teams in it and, or, you know, at least looking at a different way to do it and making, making a guarantee because he doesn't like the fact that, um, that again, his conference champion is not in, he doesn't like that. Now you're right. One of those years is replaced by another team, but, but he wants his conference champion to get in. He's seen, you know, again, you have to look at it. We all look at it objectively and say, wait a minute, Georgia and Alabama deserve to get in. He looks at it as the Big Ten commissioner. I mean, it's just like politics. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just like arguing the left or the right. I mean, they all have their agenda and, you know, don't don't throw facts in their way because they're trying to argue their side. And and I think that he's been more inclined to go in that direction. So I don't know um, that it'll be. uh, Listen, the playoffs here to stay. Uh, I think that if expansion comes, it's it's going to come organically and over time. And I don't know that, uh, again, that, you know, that I could agree that, that he necessarily it's going to. I, we don't know exactly who it's going to be and what, what their philosophy is going to be on it. The new Big Ten commissioner. But with Jim, I think he's been more open now, um, you know, than he was at the beginning about expanding and having more teams in it. Has anybody had a better offseason than Dabo Swinney? You know, here's a guy <laughs> wins a national championship, right? He plays basketball. We, 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 we talked the, uh, a couple of weeks ago about Trevor Lawrence playing the intramural basketball. And then there was video of Dabo playing basketball with his teammate, with his, with his players. And now he's at St. Louis Cardinals spring training taking batting practice. I mean, this guy is living the life. Well, he is, and it kind of fits his personality. I mean, the only negative thing has happened, and quite frankly, it hadn't really been picked up much by the media is the whole, um, you know, PED, you know, I, I don't want to call it a scandal, but a little hullabaloo about, you know, what's going on there, what has gone on there, what hasn't gone on over mm-hmm. there, so on and so forth. But it hasn't really stuck with him. I mean, he's a very gregarious guy. Um, he likes to, you know, he likes to, he's a people person. So he's someone that, um, listen, he is basking in the glow of the fact that he's been the head football coach of the team that's won the national title two out of the last three years. And, you know, I think it is fair to say, well, if you look at longevity, you know, Alabama folks will argue, hey, look, we've been more consistently at the top for longer. Um, two out of the last three kind of puts Clemson in an area where they can make that claim. And in a in an era where, you know, it's been Alabama and everybody's chasing Alabama to say that Clemson has the argument that they're with Alabama or maybe slightly ahead, certainly over the past three years. Uh, it's saying everything. It's saying a mouthful, and it's quite frankly saying everything. And you know, and Dabble deserves a lot deserves a lot of credit for it. It's a fun place to play. It's a fun program, and it kind of fits his personality, doesn't it? Of of you know, hey, go and you know, be you know, see and be seen type of um, <laughs> personality. Absolutely, pizza party for everybody. Yes, with yeah, but, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it can and it can afford to you know to, to pay for it and and probably get some help paying for it where it doesn't come out of his own pocket. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, one of the teams that's right there with Alabama and Clemson, as you mentioned, are the Georgia Bulldogs, Chris. And that is our featured team this week on our State of the Program. 
What's going on at your favorite school? This is State of the Program on Rush the Field. The Bulldogs with a new look in 2019. Will this be the year they get by Alabama, Chris? Well, they hope so. And listen, there's no doubt that the program, and what I mean by program, the coaching staff, the, the, um, the level of recruiting consistently now, enough classes to where they can match up athletically player for player with anybody in the country. The only variable now is to win the big game. And, you know, it's kind of how it is. When you're good and you win big games, then every game is bigger. And then when you don't win at all, they say, well, you can't win the big game. Because if you don't win the ultimate game, then you don't win a big game and you're, you're struggling the big game. So, you know, we know Alabama's won the big games. We know Clemson has won the big games. George's, that's where that hurdle needs to be jumped. Is it this year? I don't know. I think they're definitely the favorite in the East. When you look over the program, though, it's one of the more intriguing programs. You go back in the history. You've had two great coaches in Wally Butts um, in the 40s and won a title in 42. In the 1980, Vince Dooley. Um, and they've won, you know, a couple of, you know, partial claiming titles. You know how that goes. But mm. it's a great history with football that goes back a, a long way. I mean, they were one of the, you know, founding members of the Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Association, which uh, participated in, you know, 1895 to, to 21. Then then they moved on to the Southern Conference, which predated the Southeastern Conference. And, and that's, you know, you had Georgia, Georgia Tech at one point was in the SEC. Um, Tulane was at one point in the SEC. And in 32, Georgia left the Southern Conference, which Duke in it and great program and North Carolina, great football programs. They were football schools at that time, not not basketball programs, Duke and North Carolina. Georgia was kind of in there and they moved to the SEC in, uh, in 32. They won the second most conference championships at 13 behind Alabama and, and um, you know, tied with Tennessee. So they're right there with great players, great programs. And uh, you can go by, you know, some of the great players that they've had, some of the great traditions we know about between the hedges uh, and I believe it was Grantland Rice that uh, the legendary sports writer that named it uh, in the 30s they've got uh, English um, hedges that have surrounded Sanford Stadium since the inaugural game in 1929 against Yale mm. um, and you know as we've talked about in the past the Northeast and the, the Ivy Leagues were were big time programs so it's you know, had the type of success, the sustainable success. The thing that I find the most unique, this is just an interesting fact that, you know, you can't really explain why it just is the way it is. Every coach that Georgia has hired to be, to be its head coach, every coach, it's their first time being a head coach, except for one. And that's Jim Donnan. Jim Donnan was the head coach at Marshall. Everybody else came to Georgia as an assistant. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, no, Vince Dooley was an assistant. Uh-huh. Um, you know, uh, Mark Richt was an assistant at Florida State. So it's the, you know, it, and, you know, so when people, and again, you know, what happened in the 40s and 50s and 60s, you know, it, it doesn't have an effect. But historically, sometimes you have some of that. When you had success hiring assistants, you, you tend to be, be more comfortable with it when you have, now let me just put a caveat there. Georgia actually, before they hired Jim Donnan, offered the job to Glenn Mason, who was then the Kansas coach. He accepted the job 
but he never signed the contract. And after like two or three days, decided to stay for personal reasons at Kansas. Um, he would have been instead of Jim Donnan, uh, the only guy that was a previous standing head coach. So what does it really mean? Well, nothing, but it certainly says a lot about why they were comfortable looking at their history. And I even mentioned it at the time that, hey, Kirby Smart was just a hand in glove fit. He was the brightest, you know, young assistant on the biggest, most important staff in college football, Nick Saban. And oh, by the way, he happened to be a George Bulldog, you know, yep. <laughs> played for the aforementioned Jim Donnan. And that just kind of made it, um, made it, uh, you know, fit like, now Pop Warner actually coached in two years at Georgia in 95 and 96. And as I mentioned, the two most famous coaches, and I would give the edge to Vince Dooley as the mm-hmm. greatest coach um, in Georgia history. But, you know, Wally Butts from 39 to 60 was awfully good. But they've had two guys that were clearly great coaches that did a lot. And I would say, you know, both Wally and Vince are the only two that have won national championships. And that's what they seek. That's what they kind of um, grow, have grown towards and feel like this is where they should be. And they got some great traditions we talked about between the hedges. But, you know, the other thing is the silver bridges. And this was something that was done by... I I got one uh, for you after you're done with this. Yeah, you know, and it's, you know, the the silver britches were brought in by Wally Butts. Then, ironically, Vince Dooley, who was an Auburn grad, decided to go with the white pants when he took over in 80. But prior to the national championship game, switched to the silver britches. There's (laughs) just, you know, it was just kind of a little thing, you know, the, the, the silver britches, as it's called. The other little interesting thing is they have the most... National na- uh, natural rivalries in college football. Um, well, let's see if we, Auburn, we, got, we got Auburn, Georgia Tech, yeah. right? And, Georgia and Tech, Florida, and and, and, the, and the yeah, the cocktail party, Florida, yeah, Florida. Now, South Carolina and Clemson are really good rivalries that don't meet to the level of those three, but are pretty salty rivalries. And you know, Auburn Georgia is the oldest rivalry in the Deep South. Auburn, Florida, the cocktail party and the, the border war playing the neutral site and, and the Georgia, cl- Georgia Tech. Clean old-fashioned hate. Old-fashioned hate. And, of course, there was a time, again, that Georgia Tech was a part of the SEC. So um, it, it's it, it's some interesting things about the program, uh, some really great players. You know, they had two Heisman Trophy winners. I think people are aware of Herschel Walker in yep. 82, but – Frank Sinkowitz was the best player in the early era of Georgia in 1942, but they've had some great ones. Fran Tarkenton, more noted for his NFL acclaim, but boy, was he a good quarterback. Zeke Bratkowski in coaching fame as quarterback teacher was really, really good as well. Herschel Walker was great. Uh, obviously, you have guys like Lindsey Scott at receiver. Run Lindsey, runs Lin- Lindsey. Of course, we'd be remiss if we did mention, you know, a guy that you would appreciate, Larry Munson, who's the great announcer for Georgia and was the ultimate homer. And so, <clears throat> pardon me, a lot of great players and you know, Charlie Trippy was a great back in the 40s. And Pat Dye, the great coach at Auburn, was the offensive guard for Fran Tarkenton, played in 59 and 60. You've heard me tell the story that, you know, when Vince Dooley won the national championship in 1980, um, at that time, Auburn um, had uh, let their coach go, Doug Barfield. And they were going to make a run to hire Vince Dooley because Vince Dooley is an Auburn grad. And Vince thought about it and Auburn up their offer and Vince had just won the national title, felt he had a great team coming back and he did. 
um, and decided to stay at Georgia. Well, while this was all happening, an Auburn grad, excuse me, a Georgia grad who had left East Carolina to go to Wyoming, spent one year as a coach. I'm talking about Pat Dye, um, tries to get the Georgia job thinking that Vince Dooley is going to leave Georgia and go to Auburn. Well, Pat wanted the Georgia job. That was Pat Dye's alma mater, obviously. Well, then Vince Dooley decides to stay at Georgia, and then Pat Dye gets his uh, cronies working on getting him uh, the Auburn job. And, of course, the rest, as they say, is history. Some really good plays, Jake. Scott in the late 60s, I remember. Bill Stanfield, a great defensive tackle. You know, Scott Werner and Terry Hogue were good corners and safeties in that championship year. Kevin Butler, one of the great kickers of all time. You remember him from the, the great Bears teams. Boy, was he a great college kicker that kicked on the tee at that time. Um, Scott, and boy, he could just boom it. Uh, it was unbelievable. Garrison Hurst and Tim Worley of great running back fame. Champ Bailey, Boss Bailey, his brother, Richard right. Seymour, great player. No Sean Marino. Mm-hmm. And even, even to the modern day with DeAndre Baker, Roquan Smith last year. So, you know, as typical of a lot of great programs, an old South program um, had the base of Atlanta. And I should say this, that Georgia, the state of Georgia, has entered the elite recruiting stage. Of course, we know that Texas, Florida, California, they stand out in terms of number and quality. Due in large part, I believe, to the Atlanta and surrounding areas and the population boom, the state of Georgia has now become that super elite status of you know great states, which only means that the premier program in that state with Georgia being the best Georgia tech being in the ACC, not being the type of program that Georgia is, uh, they get free reign. And obviously uh, it, it makes, uh, it makes a huge difference. And obviously they feel they've got something special and they've had coaches that have stayed there a long time. They were very patient with Mark Rick. Um, So I think the program is in great shape. I know there's frustration and there's going to be a lot of criticism for the people that say things like, well, they can't win the big game and can Kirby win the big game? A little unfair in that, you know, to me, they've only lost out to uh, to Alabama and that's no shame in doing that. Um, you know, certainly if it happens for maybe three or four more years in a row, then it becomes kind of in your mind right now. I think they played them well and they just got to learn how to finish. And uh, that's that's kind of where they are. And it's tough when you're trying to get to that point. You know, Clemson has been able to get there without as much resistance as Georgia has to go through, you know, by going through the SEC. But Clemson has found a way to beat Alabama. So the Georgia fans and obviously the Georgia critics are going to be critical of them until they're able to beat Alabama. But I think the program is in great shape. And um, Kirby's got it uh, going at an elite level. And if I'm, you're looking at the best programs in the country, you know, again, you got to put in any particular order, Clemson or Alabama. And I think that Georgia is definitely in that class and maybe just a, just a tick ahead of Ohio State. Uh, that's in rare company, top five program currently indeed. And one of my favorite parts of the Georgia football program is – one of the best mascots in all of sports, Ugga. Ugga! And did Got you know run. that all they're on Ugga 10 right now? And they're yes. all, they're all like, there's a lineage. So Ugga 10 is, you know, a grandson or a son of Ugga 9. And, and it's, it's all in the family. They're all bred. Did you know 
that they bury all of the past Uggas inside Sanford Stadium. Yes, they got a mausoleum. Yes. And so all of the previous Uggas (laughs) are buried inside the stadium. They have epitaphs. So each dog has its own saying, like Ugga 1 is damn good dog. Ugga 2 was not bad for a dog. Ugga 3, how about this dog? You know, D-A-W-G. And so on and so forth. And they have records, Chris. They keep the records of the dogs. So Ugga 10 right now is 35 and 10. He's got the best winning percentage of any Ugga before him. He has won an SEC championship and a Rose Bowl. <laughs> wow. He's been Good around. Ugga Good 10, dog. Yes, Ugga 10's been around since 2015. The other most winningest one was uh, Ugga 6 had a record of 87 and 27. And uh, his epitaph reads, a big dog for a big job, and he handled it well. So we and remember the Uggas of yeah, the past. And you know what's great is they have the little, uh, and it, it's raised um, off campus. They have uh, they have a family that actually raises and cares for the dog and obviously is utilized. Um, you know, I, I think, they, you know, to be honest, I'm, I can't even remember. I think they take him to road games too, but, you know, he's certainly in all the home games. They have this neat little uh, dog house that, um, they used to, and I think still do when in really hot part of the season, they take a bag of ice and you usually lay on it. Cause you know, dogs, <laughs> if you put their paw on it, but they have like a little, little air conditioned thing thingy that they can, you know, kind of like a, um, a window unit type thing. So, uh, it's, it's great. It's a great mascot. And of course, uh, glory, glory is the rally song for the Georgia Bulldogs. They've done that since the 1890s. Uh, they, you know, so it's, uh, it, it's, it's definitely has a lot of tradition, um, and you know, it's, um, you know, as I mentioned, Vince Dooley, you know, changed And actually, if you go back to the Herschel Walker, they had the white pants. They also had red pants sometimes with mm. white jerseys. And that was a little bit off of off kilter of what, you know, they've done before and since with the, um, with the, with the silver britches as they like to call them. And I like that the silver britches, because that's what they called pants in those days. Yep. Britches. And, um, so, um, I, I, you know, listen, it's a, it's a great program that, uh, is, is again, back. I thought for years and years, they were an underachieving program under Jim Donnan, under Mark Rick. I thought they had success, particularly under Mark Rick and they got close. I mean, they came just a, a whisker away from beating Alabama in a conference championship game in which they would have played Notre Dame, ironically. Yep. They beat Notre Dame in 1980 for the national championship. They would have played Notre Dame in the BCS championship game that year that Alabama beat Notre Dame. Um, they fell short. You know, Alabama's been their nemesis. That was Nick the fourth, that was the fourth down stop in the SEC championship game, right? The fourth down That's play. It. Yep. That's exactly right. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that, that's, you know, that's the difficulty of being in the conference and being up against the great program that is Alabama is that Georgia's just fallen a little bit short. But, you know, I do think that um, you could make the case that they're right there, you know, with, with Clemson and Alabama, even though it may be a half step behind. Well, now looking at this year, though, so Mel Tucker's gone. Jim Chaney's gone. How is Kirby Smart going to deal with the changeover in his staff? Well, I think they're going to be okay on offense. I think they're going to miss Mel Tucker a little bit, but that's Kirby's side of the ball, and they like they're going to keep what they do. There's always that adjustment when you lose staff. Now, offensively, um, let's call it what it is. They could have kept Jim Chaney. 
they decided not to match the offer. In essence, that was kind of a polite way that they wanted to move on. Um, as the season developed last year, Jim's role was kind of diminished some. Mm. Jim's an outstanding coach, and I think he'll, he's a good fit at Tennessee. And and you know, but I think George's listen. We'll see how well it produces on the field, but they're pretty comfortable with what they have on the offensive side. Uh, at coordinator. So, but it is an adjustment when you have obviously two new coordinators, uh, but we've seen it. We've seen it with Alabama and now we're seeing it with Georgia and, and that uh, is always going to be a challenge. Tough schedule again. Uh, let's look at the East. Florida's only getting better. Tennessee's getting better. So I still think Georgia is the team to beat, but it is not so much a foregone conclusion as beating Georgia and Tennessee was two years ago, mm-hmm. where it was basically just, you know, a fait accompli was going to happen. Now it's going to be quite challenging. Even though they're the better team, I think they'll probably win the East again. It's going to get more difficult and more challenging without question to go through the conference, go through the gauntlet, you know, and they have to play Auburn every year. Um, we talked about how they're looking to move that game. Yeah. You know, in the early part of the year, it's it's definitely strategic for both, um, but particularly for Auburn. But Georgia has to play Auburn because uh, that's the crossover rival game. And then if they're going to win the SEC, they're going to have to beat Alabama. And they don't, you know, again, rarely play Alabama in a regular season and because they're not a regular crossover game. But we we have seen and more than likely we'll see for a few more times at least a Georgia-Alabama the conference championship mm. game. That was our state of the program on the Georgia Bulldogs. And, well, we stick in the SEC East because next week we take a look at the Florida Gators. Yes, those Florida Gators. Well, it's scouting season and it's spring practice season. And there's no better place to be with all of it than LandryFootball.com. Veteran NFL scout Chris Landry takes you step-by-step through the free agent and draft process around the NFL. Learn what NFL teams and college programs already know by joining LandryFootball.com today. Free agency, NFL draft, college recruiting, coaching moves, roster analysis on both the college and the pro teams, and the latest inside scoop on the college and pro game. All this and more for less than a magazine subscription and now with a special postseason discount. You also get new episodes of the Landry Football Podcast every Tuesday and Thursday, new episodes of Rush the Field every Wednesday, and the free War Room newsletter every single week. Simply go to LandryFootball.com and provide your email address. It's where you get the inside information that's not available for publication on the website. Just tell them where you heard about it. You heard about it right here on Rush the Field. Chris, you just came back from the NFL Combine. Uh, Players were franchise tagged this week in the NFL. Some players were not, meaning they will be free agents. Lots of stuff going on at LandryFootball.com. We absolutely do. Of course, we we basically, when we did this, we decided we're going to do this for the fans in, in a chronological order of how things go. So, like, for the college fan, Obviously, as you know, several weeks ago when recruiting, the second wave of recruiting came in, we broke down all the recruiting classes, graded, graded all the players in the recruiting classes. Uh, we're keeping people up to date in our notebooks daily on the college football notebooks of what's going on in the transfer news. Uh, any tidbits from the class of 2020, player visits, player commitments. So we take care of that. As you mentioned, you get into the draft season, the combine. Who worked out well? All the combine numbers. What the combine numbers mean? We got all that for you at LandryFootball.com. We'll have our draft boards, our scouting reports on all your favorite college players. 
But we also do that, as you know, that free agency, as you mentioned, is right around the corner. Uh, the franchise tags are the start of it. And so now as we head towards free agency next week, uh, it's about, you know, from the NFL standpoint, what players are going to be moving on, stand, so on and so forth. Well, that's what we do. We break down and we have this up now up on the website and we're going to complete it here in the next couple of days. Got all the offense done and working on the defense that will be up again next couple of days. Every player in the league graded. How did they grade out this past year? So you can go into free agency, whether a player is going to get uh, released whether he's right now scheduled to be a free agent when the new league year starts on the 13th of March, you know how he graded this past year. So it's a great way to follow because instead of putting guys on and off, they just sign. I mean, you know, who's going to happen? What's going to happen? You, you, you don't know from one moment to the next. We got you covered. We'll keep you up to date on all the news. But, you know, regardless of the player, immediately how they graded this past year and what value did the team get for what they're paying. So it's one-stop shopping football. Uh, you can catch that. And of course, uh, don't uh, forget to sign up for the War Room newsletter that you'll get every Friday as well. And of course, by becoming a member of LandryFootball.com right now, we've got our scouting season savings. Fifty after Actually over 50%, it's 58% uh, technically off uh, for an entire year. It'll get you all of this stuff through this time of year, all the way through the next football season, all the way through next year at this time. So one-stop shopping football that involves players, teams, coaches, and schemes. LandryFootball.com is where you need to be. Follow me on Twitter at LandryFootball. We'll see you there, folks. That's right. Follow me on Twitter at Scott's on Air. Rush the Field with me, Scott Seidenberg, and Chris Landry can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. We'll do it again next week, Chris. Hey, look forward to it, Scott. Take care. Have a great week. I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist, so thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out radioinfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com.